0: Tracy, you know, we've done a lot of truck driving episodes on the show by now, but it is kind of crazy that we haven't actually spoken to a truck driver.
1: All trucking all the time, except with the drivers themselves, apparently.
0: Yeah, it's kind of bad. We we really, you know, it's because essentially people talk about poor conditions. They talk about poor pay. They talk about certain way. You know, there's a lot of talk in the industry about a so-called truck driver shortage, which mm-hmm. is this talking point media has reported for a long time. But how can you discuss these things, you know, without actually hearing from a truck driver why uh, perhaps the industry has had trouble hiring and retaining uh, drivers.
1: Right. But also just talking about some of the supply chain issues as we have been for the past two years or so, and all the talk about, you know, things being stuck at the ports or Mm -hmm. things being stuck at rail yards and truck drivers getting caught up in those and having to wait hours and hours and hours to pick up or drop off a load. But we haven't actually spoken to the people who are living that very experience.
0: Right. So one dynamic, and we talked about it on a recent episode episode with uh, Rachel Premack is this fact that truck drivers are paid by the mile, right? And you even see it on the back of trucks often when they're trying to recruit drivers. They talk about how much you can get paid per mile, which has the drawback potentially of you don't get paid for time. And therefore, if you're at a warehouse and you're uh, depositing a load or picking up uh, some goods, You can wait around for a really long time, potentially hours if the warehouse is inefficient or blocked or just sort of very crowded, which a lot of infrastructure has been over the last couple of years. And you're not getting paid for that time. Uh, It's detention, as uh, they call it. In the industry. And if it's really bad, if it's inefficient, that's just hours of your life wasted because it's not a mile.
1: Right. And so the supply chain crisis has kind of shown a light on this practice. And the question now is whether or not it starts to change, because clearly, if you're talking about how difficult it is to get stuff from point A to point B and a big part of the choke point is well, people are just waiting all day to pick that stuff up at a particular port or a rail yard or a depot or whatever. Then you could see people maybe want to start to alleviate some of that wait time.
0: And right, and that's like what happens, I think, in a so-called like supply chain crisis is you notice. Various choke points or inefficiencies Frictions. that you that maybe you tolerated private or previously or that weren't a big deal. And so, okay, we have this problem where people are wasting their time at the uh, warehouses waiting for load or unload, but whatever, it's okay because things are still moving smoothly. When you get the real seize up and you're like, oh, these are like dramatic inefficiencies and the cost of adjustment falls on the truck drivers themselves because they're the ones that have to essentially eat the cost by wasting time.
1: Yeah, exactly. So when you get these uh, choke points, as you mentioned, it seems like a good time to sort of evaluate the process on a whole.
0: And what can be done spe- to alleviate them? And, you know, some people's like, oh, it's apps and we need like algorithms like Uber and stuff like that and make everything more efficient. But, uh, you know, at that point, it's just speculation. So Let's talk to a driver and uh, let's find out what really is going on and how much time and waste and if there are any potential solutions to this issue of uh, truck driver detention. Let's do it. All right. I'm really excited about our guest. We're going to be speaking to a truck driver and also the author of the Autonomous Truckers Substack, Gordon McGill. Uh, Gord, thank you so much for coming on Odd Lots. Oh well, hello oddlots. Hi Tracy. Hi Joe. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. What do you sort of give your summary? How does a truck driver get paid and what is detention? There's
2: numerous different ways truck drivers get paid. Some get paid by percentage of haul. Some get paid by the mile, some get paid salary, some get paid by the hour. It depends on what part of the market you're in, what capacity you're working in, whether it's local, regional or over the road, or if you're like a dray trucker working on ports, There's many different pay models, but the pay is downstream of basically piecework and the quoted rate that the company you work for gives to their customer.
1: So talk to us a little bit more about driver detention then. Why exactly does detention happen at all? And have you, you know, personally noticed a change in the amount of time that you're spending waiting to either pick something up or drop it off?
2: So detention is – it can be caused by any number of things. I mean, you know, as as the famous T-shirt and bumper sticker says, you know, shit happens. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes it's, you know, it's it's just, you know, mechanical breakdowns, personnel shortages, whatever. But with the distribution of freight in America, the entire system – is set up and predicated on the fact that all of the time efficiencies and problems get downloaded onto the drivers because there's no cost associated with their time and there never has been so you just end up sitting and waiting and it could be for any reason under the sun and it's been like that basically since forever.
0: Do you have a sense of like how much time you spent like what's a week look like for you or a month look like for you? and do you have any sense of how much time you in particular and then maybe the industry uh, drivers as a whole waste in unpaid detention?
2: So there was a study done I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote the science seeing as how this you know very popular thought terminating cliche circulates around the internet and the discourse. there was a study done. By there's like a subdivision of MIT which studies logistics and freight. And they showed that the average trucker in America, although they are allowed to drive 11 hours a day, only drives on average about six and a half hours because their day gets sucked up with waiting to load and unload so much that they literally lose almost, you know, like 45% of their available driving time. There's been a lot of discourse, as you guys mentioned in your opening, about um, problems with supply chain. Well, a pretty major problem is when 40% of your available trucking capacity is being held up, right?
1: Right. So uh, you mentioned the, the 11 hours there, and this was going to be my next question. So, like, don't truckers... And I apologize in advance for a very basic question. But don't truckers have like a certain limit on the amount of driving time that they can do per day? But you're saying that the waiting time doesn't factor into it or are there any? Sure. So,
2: yeah. yeah. So it's called hours of service. And all truckers in America and, and most other Western countries are governed by HOS rules. In the United States, you're allowed to drive 11 hours a day and you get like a 14-hour window to complete those 11 hours, and then the other three hours are, say, pre-trip inspections, loading, unloading, um, the other duties you have to take care of. But, like, you know, if those other duties exceed the three hours and then eat into the 11 of driving, you lose them, and that happens all the time. Hmm. And, again, as, as Joe, as you guys mentioned at the beginning, the amount of time you sit cuts into the amount of time you can drive and therefore the truck which is considered you know an asset and a part of logistics capacity is now just sitting there wasting not making any money
0: right correct me if i'm wrong but in the price of a trip or in the cost of a trip there are sometimes attempts to compensate for expected wait times or if a if a shipper has a reputation for having inefficient warehouses or for long wait times picking up or dropping off. In theory they do pay more to the tr- uh, to the owner operator or to a freight broker who then in theory passes it along like there is some cost to them that sometimes factored into what they pay per mile for the trip.
2: Well that's in theory, but again because of the hyper competitive nature of the trucking business You know, I was speaking with an owner-operator friend of mine the other day, and he, you know, mentioned, you know, he's he's always worried about, you know, the other guy, the other guy, the other company that's willing to, like, forego that cost, and it's always used as a threat. Um, You know, like, yeah, if you guys charge us too much for demurrage time, we just won't use you, and we'll use another trucking company. So there's this, you know, playing off um, companies against each other, to try and remove that. Some companies do pay it. Typically in specialized or niche markets, there's very low tolerance for waiting time. I, I drove a truck in New Zealand for a little while and because the cost of doing business down there is so much higher and the margins are that much thinner. they They don't tolerate waiting time. And then in other countries, it's mandated that drivers get paid by the hour. And because you're paying by the hour, you can't, waste those people's time because it's coming out of the bottom line of the company who's holding you up. Whereas in the United States, there's nothing to force anybody to account for driver's time like whatsoever. So there's a very small minority of companies that will pay for that, but they, they're they so inconsequential that the rest of the business, they just they just don't pay.
1: Well, maybe this is a good time to talk about how we ended up with that system Mm. in the U.S., because as you mentioned, like it does seem strange, you know, for most people in the States, they work 40 hour weeks. And then if they work overtime, they'll get some sort of extra compensation, um, you know, to compensate them for that. But in the case of truckers, it seems to be different. So how did we end up with this system? In
2: 1938, during the Roosevelt administration, They passed a piece of legislation called the Fair Labor Standards Act, which included the idea of paying people overtime and included the idea of the standard 40-hour week. And a few different occupations were exempted from that, included transportation, and truck drivers were explicitly exempted from being paid overtime. And it's been like that ever since. So the entire industry has built its like rate structures, the way it does business, the way it pays people, the way it schedules things around the fact that hey, we don't have to pay these guys any extra for their overtime, and that's fine, and we're just going to keep doing that. So they've created like a uh, a, a two tier system where you know, you might be at a Walmart warehouse or whatever distribution center and everybody that works there gets paid overtime if they have to work 40 hours, except the dozens or hundreds of truckers sitting outside in their cabs waiting to get loaded or unloaded.
0: So what would, a, is there, would it have to be a law that would change this? Like what would be a way out to, so that, well, okay, because what you, first of all, what you say makes sense that in countries in which if you have to pay truckers by the hour, then it becomes a real cost to the shippers if they're just holding you there for hours. So what would it take to get into a mode where that's how uh, truckers are paid?
2: You make a good point, Joe. Um, The the system here, because there's no cost associated with the driver's time, it creates what they call a market failure. Like I I lean a little bit libertarian. I used to be a pretty strident libertarian in, in the past, but like, We're seeing this confluence of different factors where because it's not legally required and because there's so many humongous so-called mega carriers in the market who have built their business model around turning and churning through drivers and not paying them what they're worth. And as, you know, uh, uh, Professor Steve Vichelli said in his book, um, uh, The Big Registration, Um, trucking and the client of the American dream that it doesn't cost them any extra money to manage driver retention and driver churn. So these companies have essentially built it into their operating model that you just don't pay overtime and you don't worry about it. So it just might be, you know, as much as the libertarian part of my brain (laughs) doesn't want this, that the government has to basically say, look, your this industry and the supply chain system that keeps America going is dependent on having professionals and safe people that are happy with their jobs and want to stick around. And this model of not paying them isn't sustainable. So maybe, and I could be wrong, but maybe it is the, you know, like the guaranteeing overtime for truckers act, where you the, the, there's that requirement that drivers be paid for their time in order to force all of these clowns to actually pay people what they're worth and to stop the ongoing churn retention cycle.
1: Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit.
0: You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Can I just ask a devil's advocate question? Because I think this comes up a lot. But So in the States, truckers are paid by the mile or per trip for the most part. And one of the things that comes up when you start talking about, well, we should pay them overtime is, well, how are you actually going to track and monitor and then, you know, compensate oh, I'm that so accurately? You, I'm, yeah.
2: so, I'm so glad you brought that up, Tracy. <laughs> Just that to be clear,
1: devil's advocate, but please give us your response. One hundred percent. That is a fantastic question.
2: And... Um, y'all went to grade school and high school before they had uh, uh, smartphones. Mm -hmm. And some of those places, they taught you how to use this thing called a calculator. (laughs) And then the calculator got turned into an app on your cell phone and on your laptop. And there's this little thing we can do called proration. And guess what? The government does proration on the miles you travel to figure out, who to allocate fuel taxes to to states, why can we not prorate miles to figure out what your average hourly mileage rate is? To then figure out what your base hourly rate would be based on those miles, to then calculate what your overtime would be. This is so simple, but like I, I think that like truckers have spent so many decades of just being abused and pummeled by all these forces beyond our control, and then you have people like the American Trucking Association who represent these mega carriers that just go right along with it, that we can't imagine something as simple as a calculator being able to figure this out for everybody, especially given that many trucking companies these days, much like Twitter, who Elon Musk just cut out, all of these sort of like parasitical non-work people that don't produce anything. Trucking companies have the same problem with like compliance and human resources managers and all these people that like have to basically make sure that the trucking companies don't get crushed by the DOT. So like, it, c- can they not operate calculators? Can they not figure out how to pay people? Like this is real simple.
0: As an avid Twitter user who wants the site to remain uh, stable, I'm a little worried that he may have let go of people who are crucial, but and not entirely all parasites. Um, but nonetheless, I take your <laughs> I, t- I take your point. I just I want I want the site to remain functioning and high quality engineers to work there, but that's a sidetrack. I want to get, you know, you just mentioned um the ATA and and you know, for years you hear about the so-called truck driver shortage. But as you just pointed out, or as you argue, that for also years that the mega carriers have had this like churn mentality, they're like, well, it's okay if a driver only stays in the industry for a few months or a year, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit more about that model, the the churn, the like let's just churn through the driver's mo- model and it's okay if it's cheap and it's okay and how sustainable that is and what the cost of that is?
2: Well, okay, so... The short answer is is A, it's not sustainable, and B, it's not sustainable because of the costs that have been externalized, right? So the costs are on both the drivers themselves who, again, enter these models working for freight companies where they go through some kind of truck driving school and often enough owned by the carriers themselves and then they get either uh, the carrier gets subsidized by the government in some way through subsidies or grants to hire drivers, or they offload the cost of the training onto the drivers through these like credit obligations with ridiculous interest rates. And then they have to sign a contract and stay with the company, but then the company abuses them. And then they discover that they waste half of their life waiting at docks or being at the mercy of dispatch systems that are often wonky and, Nobody seems to care because you're at the other end of a, a surveillance technology like a Qualcomm or something in the truck, and 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 the companies don't necessarily care about where you are or what your time is. So there's a lot of washout, and then there's also a lot of accidents. Um, there was a, a a report released here recently that showed um, since the imposition in, in of the electronic logging device mandate that like truck accidents continue to climb. So there's this cost sent to society. I like to I like to call the driver shortage narrative. I've, I've, I've come to this recently. I, I want to call it the Pareto's truck driver shortage. <laughs> so there's there are companies who are short drivers, right? Like the guys, some people I used to work for in Canada have, have got 20 trucks sitting, but they're a specialized niche carrier and they need competent, good drivers that know what they're doing. And so what happens is, because the other 80% of the business is stuck going through this uh, retention problem and churning through drivers because they can get away with it because the government subsidizes it and or they offload the cost of training onto the drivers and get them stuck in this credit problem and it sucks in all kinds of people into the business who shouldn't be driving. That 80% basically turns off the number of people who would come into it who are competent and who would graduate through the system, the pipeline, so to speak, from being a new driver to a good competent driver to moving on to a really good paying job that's you know in a niche market, say, doing oversize or hazardous materials or, or some such other commodity that pays a little better and then sticking with it. So the, the, the 80% of the Pareto distribution that's locked in by this really bad model of churning through drivers, that driver shortage is fake. They just keep going through them. There's no shortage. There's tons of people with CDLs. They just end up quitting. And then at the other end, the 20% of people who are really competent, the companies in that part of the market, they can't get people because the people who would come through the system and graduate towards those good jobs, Quit before they get a chance because they just like, this is a shit show. Like, why would we stay here? Why would we stay in this business that doesn't value our time? And they end up quitting.
0: It seems like there's a really interesting sort of like kind of perverse economic phenomenon where people hear about how there's a driver shortage and they say, Okay, well, why don't we subsidize going to driver school? Why don't we make it easier to get your CDL, bring new people in? But the real upshot. of that essentially it sounds like it's just sustains the churn model rather than That's just, right
2: because yeah. what 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 they're what they're doing is they're 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 using these systems to take care of the bottom end of the problem rather than the top yeah. end of the problem right so like instead of trying to keep people like why pay people more why treat them better why improve the material conditions if you can just keep on going through and I hate to sound like you know, a snob or anything, but like these systems suck up people who are desperate. And one of the problems in our economy over 30, 40 years of, you know, Reaganomics, neoliberalism, whatever you want to call it, um, shipping all of our manufacturing base to China and Mexico and whatnot. Well, you can't ship out the truck drivers. So the trucking industry, as represented by the American Trucking Association, may they burn in hell, uh, they've basically created this system where it's like, we can't get rid of the drivers. So somehow we have to make them as cheap as the third world places we've sent all of the other jobs to. And so they've created this system and now, you know, any suggestion at changing that system is met with like a wall of inertia, right? Like, Oh no, you can't do this because then it's going to cost the economy more money or, you know, it's going to affect the supply chains because now you're constricting the available drivers if you say make it more difficult to get a CDL or, well, you know, can start I ask, paying these people more.
1: Just just on this point, um, and this is another sort of devil's advocate question, but I feel comfortable asking you this because you mentioned your libertarian roots. Is there is there like a tension between the deregulated trucking industry, low barriers to entry, you know, sort of? maybe attracts a certain type of person to be a driver, someone who wants to work for themselves, who wants to have freedom, not have to jump through a red tape, and then actually reforming the industry, maybe putting in more restrictions, more training, more regulations. Is that like a tension?
2: Uh, That that is a tension. And that's a very good question. And I'm glad you asked it, because what happens with that tension is... So there's been a lot of discourse around about the downstream effects of the 1980 Motor Carrier Act signed into law by Jimmy Carter and the effects that's had on the trucking business and the you know, the, 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 the downward pressure on rates and wages. And that's a thing. That's true. And it was uh, a first identified academically by this guy named Michael Belzer who wrote a book in, that was published in 2000 called Sweatshops on Wheels. And a thing that Belzer identifies in the book, which I have also seen and a, a lot of other truckers have also seen, is that instead of regulating the business side of it, like freight lanes, how much your rates are gonna be, all that side of the business, they now overregulate the operational side. So they regulate the drivers. Hmm. Right. So and and there's gonna be another book being published next month by an academic at Cornell named Karen Levy, which is called um, Data Driven uh, Truckers in the New Workplace Surveillance. And she has spent 10 years studying like the effects of all of the regulatory imposition on the driver through... Surveillance technology, driver facing cameras, ELDs, all of this stuff that's meant to regulate us because of the public's fear of, you know, drivers driving tired over their hours, all this stuff, which is an effect of the fact that the market's been pummeled by deregulation. So there's this regulation question, but it's not looked at correctly that, that they've deregulated the market, but they just moved the regulation from the operations Mm. of the companies and the rating and the business side of it. And they've moved all the regulation onto the operations and onto the driver, which is another reason people wash out because if you're somebody like me, who's been in the business my entire life, my dad was a trucker, both my uncles were truckers. My grandpa was a trucker. I was fixing, helping mechanics, fix trucks and driving around when I was a teenager after school. And I'm one of the sort of last of the big game hunters. I know what I'm doing. If somebody is a professional and knows what they're doing, they don't want to be told how to do their job by some human resources hered or a health and safety pencil (laughs) neck person that's breathing down their neck. And that's a factor like another thing. And this applies more than just trucking is like the psychology of people who work for a living most people that work for a living just want to do their jobs and be left alone. And we have this like management mentality where like every single thing has to be done exactly as the computer models tell us and as safe as possible. And like, they're trying to impose theory on material reality and it drives the people actually doing the work insane. So, you know, you want to like end driver churn and driver retention, one of the factors causing that is that they've over-regulated the people doing the work rather than the people in charge of the markets in which the work is being done. Like, does that make any sense? Yeah,
0: and that's an an incredible point. And I hadn't really thought about this before, this idea that's like, okay, the business of trucking, the business of pay, etc., increasingly deregulated, even as more burden gets shifted to, the driver in the truck and the idea of monitoring. And so essentially sort of redistributing the imposition of where the regulation happens. And I hadn't really thought about it before, but it sort of leads me to where I was going to go with my next question. And, you know, one of the things that Tracy and I have talked about, and we interviewed the CEO of a freight brokerage, kind of is this attempt to make it even more computerized, like the like the Uberization of trucking, that all deals are all gigs, are an app, and you put in your requirements, and then a, a job shows up. What have you seen in terms of how that affects you, this attempt to essentially apply apply this sort of algorithmic Uber model to your industry?
2: Well, that model can work in certain sectors, but not all of them. So trucks move everything, right? right? And not all commodities, not all products get moved in the same type of truck, right? Right now, I haul logs, you cannot do anything with the logging trailer I pull except haul logs. That's it. That's all it's good for, right? A really good friend of mine, owner operator, his name's Chris. He has a he works for a company that does bulk pneumatic stuff. So like it's like bulk commodities that are like either powderized or small pellets, and they get blown in and out of his tanker trailer with a vacuum or, or a pressure uh system. You can't just put that on Uber. The Uberization of trucking is only for like freight where like you have a box trailer with doors on the back and everything comes in and out in a forklift. And so the, the, the the trucking industry, because it's so diverse and there's so many different angles on it, like the Uberization thing only applies to certain parts of it. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: Can I ask one more, one more like specific example, which is, I was reading your blog, which is great, by the way, but you mentioned that in in your three decades of trucking experience that you had one experience with someone who actually paid you overtime for trucking. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why why would some people pay overtime versus the vast majority who, who are not paying extra? How does that work?
2: Yeah, that one employer was based here in the United States. And I, am not sure if that was a function of state law or just the fact it was like hazardous materials and they wanted to be able to keep people around and it was seasonal.
1: Oh, interesting. So like, okay.
2: Right. The, the commodity I held was propane and a lot of people in the North use propane to heat their homes. So it gets really busy in the winter, busy to the point where you're working 75, 80 hours a week. And if it didn't pay overtime, they probably wouldn't get anybody to work for them. Whereas other companies I've worked for, it was either straight mileage or percentage. And, you know, I learned very early on in my trucking career that, you know, the, the freight market, the, you know, pulling a box trailer, it's it, because of all the factors we've just discussed. It's not, it's not the place you're going to make tons of money. and, uh, I, I've i always done oversized loads, heavy stuff, bulk commodities, hazardous materials, I've hauled a lot of fuel, logs. I've, I've tried to stay away from the freight market. But the I mean, it's easy enough for somebody who's been in the business long enough like me and who is competent to say that, but we still have to have something for the vast majority of drivers who are stuck in this freight market that just won't seem to heal itself and correct the factors which make it underpaid churn through drivers cause accidents offload all of these costs onto society insurance claims for accidents There's this whole discourse around like oh well, what do they call it nuclear claims or, like, or nuclear verdicts where you know there's an accident and some people are killed and then like the judge just goes to crazy on the on the trucking company in question and then there's another issue in the trucking business with self-insuring. A lot of these large mega carriers, they're so big and, they, and they, have, they have so much throughput and they make so much money that they self-insure. And when you self-insure, you're not playing by the same rules as other insurance companies who might want to vet drivers better or impose experience limits, right? So there's... There's just all these different factors affecting the business that make it very difficult to say, you know, here's one solution that's going to work for everybody, right?
1: Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit.
0: You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get to just sort of the current state of uh, the sort of market and the economy and diesel prices. But one last sort of very, just a detailed question. What do you do while you're waiting there for hours? What do truck drivers mm. do while you're waiting in uh, detention well for hours? You- Do you like, do you like honk your horn and complain and say, hurry up? Seriously, I I don't
2: know. You know, uh, the few times back in the day when I hauled freight, I just carried lots of books with me and I read some guys polish their wheels. Some guys catch up on sleep. Some guys, I mean, you know, uh, now there's smartphones, so they just scroll, read, catch up on sleep, whatever. And I mean, it, it should be noted that during, the COVID regime where everybody was like scared of this marginally ef- uh, effective virus that many distribution centers and facilities across America and Canada wouldn't let drivers into user use their facilities. A lot of them don't as a matter of course, anyway, there's this whole problem with like distribution centers, not letting you use their lunchrooms or bathrooms or anything. They just mm-hmm. expect you to stay in your truck the whole time. So you're basically being treated like a pariah as a matter of course Like it's a sort of an industry standard thing. And then COVID like cranked that up to 11 and made it even worse. So you you basically spend a lot of time sitting with yourself.
1: Uh, Why don't we broaden it out a little bit and talk about the general environment for trucking at the moment, because, you know, this has garnered quite a lot of attention. People like to look at freight rates as indicative of where we're heading in the economic cycle. So what are you seeing in terms of, I, I guess, load activity and also the rates that you're actually being paid?
2: I'll, I'll give you a good reference. Uh, my friend, Jamie Hagan, who's very active on Twitter, a real good Twitter follow at, at Hellbent bent Hagan. Um, he's an owner operator, has a bunch of his own trucks. He made a tweet on the weekend about watching um, the spot load market load boards drop almost instantaneously. Like you would try and book a load and like a, a load might pay a dollar 50 a mile. And then it would all of a sudden drop down to a dollar a mile. And uh, we had a conversation about this, and he mentioned that you know typically trucking gets really slow in January and February. There's always this like post-holiday lull, and that's that happens regardless of whatever the other economic circumstances are. It's sort of like a, a truism in trucking that you know January and the early part of February are slow. We're seeing now that that drop off and slowness is happening now when it should be peak season hmm. um, uh, loads loads being moved in advance of christmas holiday shopping you know um you know people ordering things from amazon so you know there was, a, there was an article on freight waves recently about like fedex is like furloughing drivers but it's it's only mid november hmm. right so the the the, the market uh, such as it is seems really unhealthy right now plus you know we're i i live in upstate new york uh, Six dollars and five cents a gallon seems to be fairly average around here for fuel. That's unsustainable without significant fuel surcharges added to freight bills. Uh, I can't I can't speak for the rest of the country, but like, you know, the we're not looking at a very good time.
0: So I just have, I guess, one last question here, but whether it's, you know, the sort of broader the sustainability of existing trends, the current macro climate, and sort of all of it put together. Do you see any prospect for change positive in the industry and or internally or self-motivated, or is it all sort of going to, re- like setting aside whether things even improve or whether there's a new pay model, which was probably not gonna happen for a while, what do you see as lasting changes? from uh, the sort of the ructions that we've seen during all the supply chain stress and COVID?
2: Well, that's hard to predict. But I mean, the nice thing has been the sort of level of awareness. And I want to, you know, credit you guys with this a little bit. You know, since the whole COVID thing for the last couple of years, a lot of people being that they're sort of stuck at home, and the in the and the brighter amongst them are wondering how everything is still moving while the keyboard warriors and email case stays at home, is that like there's this new there's 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 some attention being paid to the to the material economy, um, whether or not that attention uh, manages to last, and whether or not you know people like. You know, Representative Andy Levin, who's been primaried out and won't be in Congress next year and is guaranteeing overtime for Truckers Act bill, keeps moving forward, remains to be seen. But like, you know, a lot of these problems have been highlighted. I don't I don't know whether or not whether or not I should be optimistic about this, because, you know, the truck drivers are deeply cynical people. Right. Because this the the the, the exemption to us being paid overtime has been around for so long the sort of like the just nature of the business and, and so many different factors affecting trucking and making logistic. You just kind of sort of shrug your shoulders and say it is what it is. And, and I know that's not like a complete answer sure. for you and your audience, but like it, it, it's hard to tell, but I am sort of heartened somewhat at the interest shown to this business in the wake of the COVID stuff You know, guys like yourselves and the popularity of people online, such as like Huntsman and various logistics specialists, you know, that's good. Whether or not that translates into legitimate attempts to fix the business, I don't know. But like one of the reasons I wrote my latest substack uh, about the American Trucking Association is if um, normies and like, you know, NPR American podcast listeners keep coming to the American Trucking Association thoughts, for normies. answers.
1: No one has ever like alluded to us <laughs> being normal before. So thank you for that. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, we had, we had Gordon before we had an ATA rep. So at least. Uh, right. Okay. Good. That's yeah, true. that's good. That's good. No, but like, um,
2: it's good that you guys spoke with me. And I think like s- speak with more people on the ground, you know, to borrow uh, my friend, Oliver Bateman's phrase, doing the work, like doing the actual yeah. work of the material economy and, and, and like the last 30, 40 years of whatever you want to call it, Reaganomics, neoliberalism, Clinton, whatever, globalism, global homogeneity, whatever you want to call it, has shifted so much attention away and concern away from the working class. If you keep focusing on those people, keep having these conversations, you know, as they say, the devil is in the details and, and we're the folks on the ground actually doing things. Keep, keep, keep that up and you might actually start fixing things.
0: Gordon McGill, such a treat speaking to really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk and uh, hope to have you back on at some point. That was a really fantastic. And uh, thank you so much.
2: Um, no, thank you guys. And like I say, uh, keep it up. I, I appreciate your uh, uh, fetishization of freight nerdery <laughs> and logistics and whatnot. It uh, ma- makes a fellow feel good.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks, Gordon. Take appreciate care. appreciate that. Uh, thank <laughs> you.
0: I thought that was a fantastic conversation with Gord and just extremely, in a short time, extremely illuminating about some of the, uh, the the pain points in trucking that I hadn't fully appreciated
1: before. Oh, absolutely. I also, I hadn't realized that we had not actually spoken to a truck driver. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure we've spoken to some informally at various conferences over the years, but not officially on the podcast. But I also thought, you know, the point he made about if you're concerned about supply chain issues, choke points at ports and depots and things like that, the idea of having an actual chunk of your trucking capital tied up waiting and not being particularly efficient, I thought that was a good point.
0: And I really thought it was interesting. You know, I hadn't thought it's like, okay, there is a shortage of, you know, people keep talking about the truck driver shortage. And on some level, fine, we can accept that. But I hadn't really thought it's like, okay, it makes sense. Like, make it easier to get a CDL. Make it easier Mm. to go to truck driver school. Make it easier for people to come into the business. But I hadn't thought about this idea that. What that does ultimately is it just sustains a churn model where, yes, you solve the problem of people coming in, but you don't solve the problem of truck driver retention.
1: People actually staying in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, plenty more trucking episodes to come, I'm sure. Shall we leave it there for now? Let's leave it there. Okay, This has been another episode of the All Thoughts podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Check out the Autonomous Truckers Substack of our guest, Gordon McGill. Follow our producer, Carmen Rodriguez, at Carmen Armin. And for all of our podcasts at Bloomberg, check out the handle at podcasts. And I wanted to let you know about a special event that we're holding for listeners. My co host, Tracy Alloway, and I will be speaking with past guest, Josh Younger, as well as Columbia Law professor. Lev Menand in a special live episode of the Odd Lots podcast on November 29th. We're going to be holding it at Bloomberg HQ and you're welcome to come, mingle, join. We're going to have cocktails, canapes and other stuff on that day along with the live recording. So if you're interested in attending a live episode of the Odd Lots podcast as well as meeting me and Tracy, as well as meeting our guest, and as well as meeting other Odd Lots listeners, go find the RSVP, both Tracy and I have tweeted about it. It's also on Bloomberg.com slash OddLots. Sign up and join us in New York City at Bloomberg HQ on November 29th. Thanks for listening. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal.
1: And Tracy Alloway.
0: And we are the co-hosts of the OddLots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast.
1: That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit.
0: You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.